You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into the journeys of their life, the ups and downs, what they thought they wanted to do, what they did do, what they changed their mind about, what they learned, how they felt, all of it. Because I feel so often we're putting our feelings of being enough, successful, worthy, fulfilled outside of us. Like once I have this job, make this much money, I'm in this relationship, live here, then I'll feel it forever and ever. And so often when we do that, we just keep chasing and chasing and chasing. I feel that we can claim our feelings of being enough, worthy, successful, filled, lovable right now as we are where we are. On today's episode, I was so excited to get to talk to Lee Stanley, the person behind Curly Girl Designs. I stumbled upon one of her cards years and years ago in a gift shop. And I think actually before I stumbled upon it in the store, someone gave me one, one of my best friends. And I remember being struck by how like, on point and how it made me feel like seen. And I was just like, yes, greeting card. Where did you come from? Who are you? (laughs) So it was so awesome to get to talk to Lee and talk about where did these cards come from? Did she always want to make cards? What's it like being in the card business? (laughs) We get into a lot, lot, lot more. But yeah, go check out Curly Girl Design. It's um. It's a super awesome brand, and um, let's get in to the podcast and talk to Lee. Oh, last thing before I say let's get into it for real. Thank you for listening. Truly, I appreciate it. If you haven't yet, subscribe, and oh, I would super love it if you could leave a review for the podcast. That really helps the podcast become more discoverable In, in podcast world ratings and subscribes are where it's at. So leave a review and screenshot it to me. Send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com and I'll send you a gift from my product line. I really will. Okay. So please and thank you. And let's get in to the episode with Lee. Okay. I am so excited to talk to you. I reached out because I told you yeah, I remember it has to have been, well, I'll get into when you started your your line, but I feel like 2008. Have you been making stuff? When did you start your product line? 2003. So we are coming, okay. we're like, I was just talking to somebody about plans for our 20th anniversary, which makes me feel 100 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so awesome. But that's 2008, 2007, 2008. Um, we had a few big years in there where I think people started really discovering us outside of yoga studios and like small stationary shops. We started getting a little bit more mainstream. Well, and that's, it was in like a small gifty independent shop in Encinitas, California, I believe that I, that I saw. And I, yeah, I just remember being so like, oh my God, like loving it. But also it was just such back then, especially it was just so different like the wording on the cards and like so you could tell like heart-centered and compassionate but to me it didn't seem like 
it belonged in a yoga studio or a spiritual space. Yeah. You know, like it felt like a spiritual card, but like disguised into like. <laughs> Handily packaged in the way that only women will look at it. No, it, um, yeah. it was before people were putting that kind of words on, like words on things. You know, we were, my other business at that time was a t-shirt company for, I, I started in the yoga business and we started doing t-shirts like, like say sayings on t-shirts was now right. like only t-shirts with sayings, but back then nobody was doing it. And it was this like, Oh, <laughs> it just was, it seems so foreign now to not, you know, see. Right. But I, yeah. That's what I'm thinking now. Like, that's what I was like thinking recently. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like I remember seeing her stuff so long ago where now that's so normal. Like there's out millions of brands doing you know their own version of that including my own and somewhat of a thing but like yeah so I was like I definitely want to talk to Lee so let's yeah like let's start like I like to like getting to the beginning like what was your life like growing up and in like when you were in the high school ages did you have some sort of like this is what I'm gonna be or did you feel pressured to go a certain way um yeah I think the I think the real disappointing part of my my entrepreneurship journey is that I was like so reluctant to be an entrepreneur and I did not have a vision for this. Like this people are like, Oh, did you always dream of owning a card company? No, a hundred percent. I did not like this was, I wanted, well, I wanted to be an actress. It's funny. I was just listening to your conversation with Catherine Budig who I went to KU where she's from. And, um, I was going to theater school out of high school. I had this really transformative drama, you know, kid experience in high school, as well as do, you know, excelling in art. Um, But I wanted to go be, I wanted to be on Broadway and I got a full ride scholarship to um, a theater conservatory. And so the theater conservatory, is that not then like, you're at a college getting your bachelor degree. That's just you're getting a BFA. So you're getting you you are. But it's one of those things like I went on all these tours of art and drama schools out of a very robust public high school. And I played sports. And so I went on all these tours like the the Chicago Art Institute and in the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest from St. Louis. And you know, we went only so far, like nobody told me about the East coast art schools or I, you know, I couldn't, I didn't even know about Parsons at that time. And, but I went on all these tours of theater programs and conservatory programs. And they were like, we don't play sports. Here's our cafe. And it was the nineties. So it was like, Starbucks was brand new. We were still definitely wearing Doc Martens and, you know, not talking to jocks. And I just did not have that high school experience. I went to a high school where all the football players were in our award-winning acapella choir. Like it was like, glee. Oh wow! Yeah, it was really a unique, I, I mean, it's, that's how I remember it. It could be, a, you know, it's definitely different for different people, but I remember it like it was cool ish to be in the arts and theater. And there was a lot of crossover. And so I played varsity sports and I wanted to do that in college. And I was go to, on these tours and I was like, yeah, but I want, you know, they, you know, they were just gearing. They thought I was one way and I was like, yeah, but so I, but I got a full ride and I thought, well, that's lucky and I should go do that. And my mom kind of pulled me aside and was like, maybe you should think about going to art school instead of theater school. You know, like most people would be like, go to law school, you know, like do 
something. You got to make sure you get a solid, you know, business degree. Yeah, which would have been been handy. Um, (laughs) And I, at the time, thought, oh, how progressive of my mom. But really, my mom was an elementary art school teacher. And she thought, if you end up being a waitress as, you know, on your way to Broadway for the rest of your life, you can at least, you know, if you go to art school, you can teach. Because that was what she was doing. And my whole family are, uh, you know, educators. And so that wasn't really out of the box thinking so much as it was in the box thinking. But at the time I somehow at 18 took her advice, which I was, you know, we were just like, I was getting ready to leave the nest. So we were fighting all the time. And it was (laughs) odd that I took her advice, but I failed at the last minute and rolled to KU in their design program. So I'm guessing then you did were artistic that way as well, not just in performing, but in like... So visual arts was definitely something that I got into and I thought I'll be a graphic designer. It was the early, it was the mid nineties. And that was a, you know, budding thing and went to the design program there, which was extremely rigorous and very like more stressful than any real life (laughs) experience that I've had since. I mean, that's not totally true, but it was very, I had my own, like one of two panic attacks of my life, you know, in design school. So, um, and I double majored in stage performance, which would eventually just kind of peter off because I realized that I was not good for the screen and I didn't want to be a waitress for the rest of my life. So, um, but I thought I was going to go into publication design. Like there was, we, we were the first sort of class coming out of college for digital arts. So we were learning to handset type. This is so nerdy, but like learning to handset typography, like you would have used to have done. And also having to learn all the new computer programs, which now seem just like, you know, ancient. Got it. So back then, the handset type was still being used? Oh, yeah. Or, well, okay. I, I don't know professionally. Or maybe it was like they didn't want to let go of like, technology is going this way. So we are still going to teach them this and these new things. We had some pretty old school, like, I, and I'm so grateful for that knowledge in a lot of ways it's like reading the classics you know like you will know the references you'll know why things look like they do and fit the way that you know we learned all these old basics where like now anybody can be a graphic designer on their phone but when you have the foundation yeah i use canva yeah (laughs) i'm a graphic designer in canva everyone is yeah 100 um so I'm so grateful that I had those teachers and that I learned to do that because I just had such a deep appreciation and for visual arts. But um, yeah, I thought I was going to go into, I thought I was going to be a book designer. And I... So that's like designing books, like a publisher buys a book and then we need to design the book cover. Yeah, or or publications like magazines. I went to New York after college and and interviewed all over and got a job at InStyle. And the guy looked, you know, I carried my huge, huge physical portfolio around New York City. Green as fuck. You know, like just so... Like you can say. (laughs) Green. And like, hi, I'm from the Midwest and I'm going to get a job in New York City. And like, guys, like, yeah, you can have this job, which was probably like getting somebody's coffee and like moving type around on a page, you know, it was the lowliest job. He said, just let me know when you find an apartment. And I, it struck me. I was like, Oh God, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> it was New York. So, you, so scary and finding. But so, okay. So you graduated and that's, I'm going to go work in like magazine industry or I taught school for a year. So I taught, um, K through K through 12 art, um, which was 
supplemental at the time. So I was like in, in a classroom K through five. And then in the high school, I was like in somebody else's classroom or borrowing time. And I kept getting like asked to prom or they would not, they would kick me out of the faculty bathroom because I looked, I was 22. I looked not old enough to be there. And, um, I just saw my whole, I love education. I super believe in public education. I really come from a long line of educators, have so much respect for it. But I was sitting in the faculty lounge and I was like, I'm going to be eating this yogurt with these women talking about Weight Watchers for the rest of my career. And I knew, I just didn't want to be in a place where I knew exactly how much I was going to make for exactly how long. And then I had just watched. Whereas for a lot of people, that is like the best thing. It was just not the egg for me. You know, like it's a lot of people's total bag. It was not my security. I I know my hours for the rest of this. Yeah. And this is my recreation time. And I just was like freedom, 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 freedom. And also I had watched my mom and my aunt and my cousin kind of claw their way out at the end of their career, feeling just completely consumed by being a teacher you know it was just like so it it was so much work and they I just don't know if it was worth the pension you know like for me I was like is it is what are you trading you know and they they were passionate educators and they still came out looking like they had lost the fight you know and I just didn't want that and you know I will support teaching with every fiber of my being, I'm just not your girl. (laughs) And I knew that early, which was lucky for me. Um, and I decided that I was going to leave, that I needed to leave home, that I was just, did you move back home and start teaching after college? I moved back home to St. Louis and then I got a job teaching. And then I thought it was New York and I got there and they were like, okay, get here. It's like, Ooh, you know, and it, felt very big and very scary to me. And I went, ended up taking uh, a train ride to Boston to visit a friend from college who was doing city year in Boston. And I felt... What is city year? I rem- Do you remember city year? I, I mean, it's a thing, but- I think. It's a service, um, it's a service project where you take a year. Right, okay. And, um, I have a friend that America. did it and I was... Yeah. And it's just awesome. It, it really shaped a lot of one of a lot of my favorite people. And, um, I just fell in love with Boston and I thought this is a city that I can be in. It felt like Europe to me, it was smaller, it was made more achievable. And so I decided I was going to get a job there and I beat down doors and somebody gave me a job in advertising and I got to go, um, be an art director at an advertising agency there. And it was awesome. And it was just like kids like me, it was early 2000, I think it was 2000 and we had digital skills, which are not, you know, now in comparison to what kids have digital skills wise were nothing. But at the time we knew how to work the internet and. Right. Were you guys like sought, like the reason you were able to get that job at so young was like, because you guys had learned these things yeah, we were that were now paid. becoming necessary yeah. in the industry that the people that have been working in the advertising agency are like total print or whatever. Yeah, especially like, oh, we have to learn these other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were just getting into digital and um yeah, we were just getting paid stupid money and we we're having a ball. And it was this like crew of young kids and we would all do open mic nights and redecorate the office. And it was this amazing time. And then the dot com bubble burst like less than a year after I got there. And oh. I got laid off. 
and creatives are obviously the first to go. Um, and so I got laid off. I was in Boston. I had moved across the country <laughs> and I was like, crap. And it took me, oh, it took me almost, almost five months to find another job where I got another um, creative director job at a small marketing firm. And that was two months before 9-11. And then 9-11 happened and we lost all of our clients for a while. So I got laid off again. <laughs> And that was twice in a year. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> Cause yeah. Like, do you remember during those times where like knowing, cause you got laid off. It wasn't like you got fired, you messed up. It's some stuff happening in the world, but like y- being young at that age is too, were you able to like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy my life till the next job coming or like, were you like really like depressed, upset, anxious? Like, how did you get through those times? You know, I don't remember being depressed or upset. I'm, I'm a, pretty optimistic person. I was, I am, you know, I I am a very planned person and I did not want to go, I didn't want to have to go back. You know, I just gotten there and I really was fighting for this sort of period in my life. So I was determined and I was resourceful. So, but I had, I had been chewed up and spit out. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something else. Like I definitely worked at a pizza place and Um, I worked in the kitchen at this really cute pizza place in Cambridge and had a blast and then started working for some friends who were opening a yoga studio over in Boston. And this was post 9-11 pre when Boston, when yoga was huge, it was just starting to get mainstream and, and taking those jobs. Is that just sort of in your mind, let me just take a job to get money in, but I'm still going to be like looking for another advertising. Yeah. Well, I didn't know, like I thought maybe I'll teach or maybe, you know, maybe my mom was right. And I thought I needed to stay creative. So I took the job at a yoga studio for a friend helping her out and I was making pizza, but I was doing these little art pieces on the side and I kept them in this little portfolio, this little tiny box that I kept in my bag and I, I don't I just carried it around just like I don't know in case somebody needed to see them. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> but um yeah and I showed them to my friend who owned the yoga studio she said will you please do some of these for the yoga studio and we'll surprise you know the my husband who her husband was one of the owners and I did some and we put them in the bathrooms which is a perfect place for my art and writing and um they, people started buying them off the walls. And so I was managing this yoga studio by day, flipping pizzas at night, had a studio apartment. I was in love with my, I was like cat, little cash business on the side. And at the time I'm working the desk at a hot yoga studio and people are having this transformative experience and they come out and I'm the first thing they see. So it was this like baby chick thing where everybody was so nice. And I was super associated with this experience for them. and. That's so true. I'm like flashing back to like when I had like yoga studios, I moved around a lot and I was always on tour, but like when I had home studios that I would go to regularly, like, yeah, it was just like, you know, even like walking in before having the class, you're sort of like, okay. Yeah. And you recognize for this experience and people It was awesome. And I was 24, three, two, I have 22, 23. So I was loving life. I had, I had a, you know, I was getting shitload of parking tickets <laughs> and not paying them. You know, so I got the boot a couple of times. There was lots of other stuff happening in my life, but <laughs> I was, I like that you're bringing in the real life. Oh uh, yeah. I, yeah. 
my husband will tell you. I met my husband at the yoga studio and, um, Oh, wow. He was like, we went on a early, I, he won't, we, I wouldn't call them a date because I don't think he actually asked me out until many years later, but we were hanging out. And I think it was like a red flag that I had the boot on my car. <laughs> it was like, ah, uh, what's your life like? You know, like, it's awesome. I'm super happy. Um, so in that way, I was not in a hurry to do anything on my own ever. And did your parents or did anybody, were they just like, yeah, you're young, whatever you're living your life. Or did anybody have any sort of pressure on you? Like, what are you doing with your life? There were like, how are you going to, you know, before you get a real job, you know, like there was some, like, that's cute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you been looking for right. other jobs? Right. What's happening? But they were on their best behavior. Um, and I think my mom, I mean, I think there was sort of this idea that I was going to go to Boston for like a couple of years and then come home because everybody comes home. And the irony of that is I'm sitting in St. Louis right now. Um, we have recently moved back. Um, but yeah, she set you up too to like, you have the art, you can teach. Yeah. So there was some fine. like, you know, She's everybody comes home. Nobody really gets out of here. You know, and I was super like, the only thing you need to tell me is like, I can't do it. And that's the most motivating factor. So I was determined I understand that. and make a, you know, make a go of it. But I was having this amazing time and I, you know, it was, it was so pure and so fun. And then my then boss who owned the yoga studio kind of pulled me aside and, you know, I've told the story so many times, but she said, um, you should really be doing this thing, this art thing. You should do this. And I was like, mm, no, you know, like I'm an artist. Like I don't know how to run a business. I had all these stories about, who I was and what I could do and what I was allowed to do. And, and she fired me. <laughs> She's like, and let me nanny her. Giving this person yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We just got to do, her name is Mariam Gates and she's a writer and a, a fairly famous kids yoga teacher. And um, we just finally, after all of those years, got to put a, do a book together. So that was really fun. I got to illustrate one of her books and it all kind of came full circle. It was great. But yeah. so she was like trying to give you a pep talk to do it and you weren't listening. So she fired you. Fired me and then like had to deal with me because I was around. And then finally, I, I mean, I definitely did the starving artist thing kept flipping pizza, got an opportunity to move to Nantucket with some friends who were opening a yoga studio in exchange for some studio space. They, you know, had me open their yoga studio. And that was both pinnacle to the, you know, like to the experience of like not having a safety net and also like really messed up my financial life. <laughs> like kind of just, it was, it was a great experience. And I, there, when I was on Nantucket, I met somebody who said, oh, you should be doing greeting cards. Cause that had just not occurred to me. I didn't know anything about the industry and she, you know, said you should do this. Right. I, I was just, that makes sense. Cause yeah, as an artist and what you were doing, the things that you were making, were they similar to what you ended up putting on cards yeah it was print but it was it like just but yeah like eight were they just like a smaller thing it was a larger print that I made at Kinko's and framed up in a shadow box frame like that's what people were buying and so that does feel like how am I like that for someone who hasn't felt artistic even like that seems like a harder way how am I gonna break through as an artist yeah and I wasn't a fine artist and there was nothing landscape for me to look at 
say that there was a path forward here. There was no, I had no contemporaries at that time. And that didn't feel great. Like at that time, you didn't have social media where people are drawing, there was no, whatever, there was no terrible handwriting and then making huge sales from it. There was no Etsy. (laughs) There was no Pinterest. There was like magazines and, um, even dating on the internet was weird then, you know, (laughs) The fact that I found one of my roommates on the internet really freaked people out at that point. So that was how long ago that was. And to think of the, like, to think of the audacity of starting a small creative business at that time, I think, God, I was so lucky to be so dumb and young, you know, like I really just didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal to, to say no, because I just didn't, I didn't know any better. So I was like, okay. And I, I don't think I could repeat that now. <laughs> so, but, so when you move to Nantucket for the summer to help them with the yoga studio, and are you still then just making the art pieces then? Were you selling them in Nantucket as well? We, we were. And so that's we got when, when the woman said, have you thought of putting these on cards or? Yeah. And she, we had a store there that wanted to carry it. So I had to figure out how to wholesale. And I, you know, I did a little bit of, of that. And oh, so was, even somebody was, they wanted to carry the prints or yeah. were they already like, can you, okay. Yeah. So that was already like a start into. Yeah. And so that, that was like, okay, I need to figure this out. And then it was way too expensive to run a business on Nantucket if it wasn't a, a business on Nantucket. Like it wasn't, had nothing to do with living there. So moved back to Boston put all my stuff in storage. I mean, it was, now I think about it, I'm like, geez, um, it was a mess, but I did it. And then went to our, my first trade show in 2003. Wait, so what year was it in Nantucket? It was 2002 to 2000. I left. So the next year you went to a trade show? So I printed, I took on a business partner, my, my young friend who was on Nantucket with me, who just had the most chutzpah of any person I've ever met said, we should do this. I'll run the business. You do the creative. Got it. So that made you be like, okay. Cause she's like on board to figure out how the fuck yeah. do I even like, actually do yeah, this? Like finding like, a golden retriever. She was like that. And we used her bot mitzvah money and bought a laptop and 10,000 greeting cards and the greeting cards shipped to Boston. We moved back. We were going to do this. And I think she thought, it was going to be millions of dollars really fast. And then it wasn't. And she was like, oh yeah, I need to not do this. <laughs> she kind of bailed, took the laptop, which sucked. And I... Was that before or after you went to the trade show? That was after. So we did a one trade show together. We had okay. 12 styles of greeting cards, 12 in like 12 different cards. And we put them all in like one box, mixed pack which is crazy when, if you know anything about sort of sales. So you went to a trade show and you had one offering that was a box of mixed cards. And, and then some prints, like we were still thinking we could. And And amazingly enough people bought them that it felt successful. And I still, to this day have clients that bought from that trade show that still buy from us today. Amazing. Which is just like the gift of my life. I mean, that was, that's incredible. So yeah. So then, you know, then I just kind of trudged on. And when, when she quit, I panicked because there I was with my old stories about like, Oh, I can't do this by myself. And, um, my husband who was my boyfriend at the time said, look, 
uh, we have no money. <laughs> You're going to have to get a job. You have like 24 hours to cry about this or you need to run this company. You, so you either need to get a job or run this company by yourself. And I think like telling that story, it sounds like a big pep talk and like he was this really <laughs> supportive guy, but I was really like, we needed to pay rent and you can do this, but you know, you only have so much time to, and that was like, I probably some of the best advice I've ever gotten because I think you do need to allow yourself to cry about it for 24 hours and then you need to, you know, get your make a decision. Yeah. And what in gear. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so I just started running the business with the next right thing. And I just kept making decisions that felt like gut decisions. And before you knew it, we, I had a profitable company and, um, we remained profitable for many, many years and, <laughs> until COVID. <laughs> and now, you know, we're just re, re reconfiguring. We just became, you know, we've gotten big and small and bigger and smaller and done lots of things. And it, I, the fact that I still get to do this for my job is just feels, feels so lucky to me that I get to, you know, do what I want with my work it and makes, my voice. I was thinking like about yeah, how we started the conversation with like what, you know, when I first saw your stuff and thinking how different it was and so poignant. I don't even know what that mean word means and I don't know why I'm using it. <laughs> I just I mean, show something. notes about the, the words that you use. <laughs> Look it up. Uh, sometimes these words come up and I'm like, where is this even coming from? <laughs> but like, you know, it just like struck me as like, wow, this is really special and real. And um, when, now it makes sense hearing your story that sort of like you starting was like not to even share with anyone in, in a way. Right? It was just stay creative. Like, I thought somebody's going to need to see that in the time that I wasn't at an agency that I did something with with my... But the words that you were... when like, yeah, would you remember some of the first things that you made, what they said? Oh, yeah. Um some of them are still in the line today. Um, That's what I wonder. Yeah, I um, I was at a time I was sort of I, I think I thought maybe someday I'll write a screenplay. So I was into this observational technique where I would just like listen to snippets of people's stories and sort of extrapolate like what they were talking about. And I would take the one or two sentences that were the sort of meat of it. And that's ultimately what my job has become is to boil down feelings into the essential words that communicate those feelings for hopefully everybody, but as many people as possible, you know, if it, and, the, and the ultimate truth is if it's true for me, if I'm going through it, or if you're going through it, somebody else is going through that. And if I am doing my job, right, I can help you say those things for each other. And that for me is connection. And that was, you know, that's ultimately been become sort of the goal or, you know, if I have one talent and I get to use it for something, connecting people to themselves and to other people is probably the best thing I can do with it. Um, so yeah, and it started, it started out by telling people stories and celebrating other people. I, I think we only ever did one quote that wasn't mine. Um, unfortunately it was hugely popular, <laughs> but it, um, it came back to bite us in the butt because I didn't, I didn't credit it properly. I did research it and it was credited to so many people. So we just said, oh, oh. 
which is into, you know, intellectual property infringement, which I was learning about at the time. And now I'm super serious about obviously on this side. Yeah. It confuses me so much that like when I first, I have a digital app and because which was inspired by, I used to share in my newsletter, like a daily quote from someone else an affirmation and then a thought. So the thought would be like sort of my quote. Um, and so I wanted to create an app that was like that. And I did, but I was afraid, I've been afraid to use anybody else's words. So the app is only my words. So affirmations and thoughts, but like a part of me wanted to do it. Like I have so many quotes that I've loved of other people, but the, like how you can use other people's words even and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. like uh. and social media adds a whole thing to it because we get information so quickly and we are less likely to ask for like proper credit. And so like famous people will post one of my quotes on their Instagram story without crediting it. And then people come at me saying, no, the Dalai Lama said this, you know, it's not the Dalai Lama, but like they think that right. this, this actor came up with yeah. a quote because millions of people have seen it, but that's how I make my living. And so, you know, it's a fine line between like letting people use it for their good and also recognizing that there's a writer that literally makes their, you know, paycheck by doing this work that you're just giving. Social media, <laughs> social media sharing. Yeah. Is really like, yeah. I don't, it, it boggles my mind how many people don't just do like another step to see who actually wrote it. Like, especially if you see somebody repost something and that person said, mm -hmm. love this via so-and-so or whatever, and they tag the person and then somebody else sees it and this just tags the person they saw posted and not, and I'm like, can't you just, you could have, can just you do one few, further step? Yeah. Also on the post, it says the person's name. You could just go. Right. <laughs> and that, I understand not knowing that because I think I know so much about that because it affects me and my livelihood, but I understand not knowing it. And, and when we know better, we do better. But I mean, just a tip, if you're ever in a store looking at a greeting card and you have the impulse to text a picture of it to your friend, just buy the card. <laughs> I can't true. tell you we had a retail like, store for 10 years. So-and-so would love this. Yeah. Oh my God, this reminds me of him. Let me just send it to them for free on my phone. And I'm like, ugh, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. And you just, you, I don't want to shame people into it, you know, because that's not the point ultimately, you know, but I, but when you're, when you're making you're living trying to be an artist. It's it's not for free, um, and that took me a long time to to assign that value to it because I think there's also this feeling that if you love doing something, you should give it away, and I think that especially applies to art, the arts. Um, and I think understanding that we have to uh, that arts are not a volunteer basis, and it's not all for for donations. Like we don't say, you know, like we're not, there's so many, so many art based donations that I think we get it into our cultural understanding that, that artists just, this bubbles up in them and they have to do it. And we should throw them some breadcrumbs when we can, but it's such a societal value. And I didn't, I don't even think I recognized it until maybe like inauguration day when I realized that we had lived for four years without music and poetry in our government, you know, and that we hadn't celebrated that as a society for four years and that I, and how much extra value that felt like for me, even just 
for the one day of inauguration. And I was like, yeah, pay people to do this because <laughs> this is what we do for a living. Well, yeah. And it's interesting because like if something if, is bringing you joy or filling you up or not even bringing you joy, but making you feel even, right? Because like how often do we put on music or you want to watch a movie or like these things that don't bring you joy, but like they like allow you to feel different things that we often can like shut down in ourselves. And it's like these people that are doing these things that bring them joy, whether it's something they wrote or music they created or, you know, movie that it's like, well, how are they existing in the world if they're not making money from doing that? (laughs) You know, it's like, how are they going to sustain to be able to put out anything in the world? And so, yeah, the the idea of like the starving artists. uh, I think that's changing though. And I think that that's what this sort of time in the world and the universe is about to be about. You know, I think we're about to like ascribe or assign value to feelings more than we ever have. Yeah. Because we are learning that that is as important as money and as important as production and as important as our body. You know, like we we pay gobs of money as a culture for physical trainers, like gyms, you know, gym equipment, body workouts, all that sort of stuff to 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 work on our physical presence. Um, and there's a, I think, percentage of people that pay that for therapists to work on our, <laughs> and like other sort of mental integration, but like feel emotional integration and emotional health and the things that contribute to that, um, I think are hopefully going to be coming into the mainstream of things that we put value to. It's me, Tricia. Seeing as it was just Valentine's Day. And you might roll your eyes at Valentine's Day. I'm not really one that really celebrates it. But at the same time, why not celebrate love? Um, But one thing I do for me, one purchase that I made for me, because I love myself and I do it weekly because I love myself and it feels so freaking good is use my infrared sauna blanket. I bought mine two years ago. Do not regret spending a penny on it for a second. I lay in mine sometimes like four days in a row, sometimes once a week. It recharges me. It helps me relax. It soothes me and energizes me. It does so many things. So you've heard of an infrared sauna, likely those booths. They're big, they're expensive, they're also kind of uncomfortable. This, it's like a sleeping bag. You get inside, I wear long pants, socks, and a long sleeve shirt because it gets very hot. I keep a lot of water nearby and I turn on an awesome show and I only watch the show, no phone, no distractions, and I sweat, sweat, sweat for 45 minutes to an hour. It is so detoxifying. It's so good for soothing sore muscles. I have chronic pain from my fibromyalgia, but it also helps, you know, also when you're just like not feeling good, coldish, fluey symptoms, stomach issues. It has helped me so much for so many different reasons. I feel like a different brand new elevated person when I get out. So check it out. You can go directly to type in this bit.ly backslash joy sauna. 
And that's my direct link. Take you right to it. You can also use the code JOY75 for $75 off. They also have an interest-free payment plan, which is what I did when I bought it. So you can use the code JOY75, get $75 off, plus use the interest-free payment plan. Again, go to my link. It's in the show notes, bit.ly backslash joy sauna and feel free to dm me to ask me any questions about this thing because i really love it swear by it dm me at your joyologist all right let's get back to the episode you deserve this thing trust me speaking of like yeah how a lot of your early writing and still the things that you put out were like touching on feelings and sort of sharing these did you ever have any like fear, doubt, worry, like maybe even like not the first trade show, but once even you start to get successful of like, did you start to question what you're putting out? You know, like once you're like in the realm of all, well, this is what everybody else is doing. Were you able to feel like, no, people want this because they were buying it off the bathrooms. And so this is, you know, I'm going to keep creating, but like this doubt or worry about what your work was and what you were saying. I mean, I had a lot of professional doubts, you know, there's tons of imposter syndrome around running your own business, especially with the stories that I had, but creatively, I was really able to stay in my lane. I didn't, there was no one doing what I was doing. And I, it wasn't even that I felt so far ahead of the pack. I just felt only qualified to do what I could do. And so I just did that. And, and for me, you know, I, I turned down jobs at Hallmark a couple of times and oh, really? certainly could have gone that direction, but the ability to be able to publish my work in the way that I wanted it in the world was such a high and such a luxury and such a privilege that I never looked it in the face. I always just said, you know what, if it doesn't sell, we'll pull it but I want this card in the world, or I want to say this for somebody. And we, we have cards today that we still make, even though we sell like nine a year, because somebody is going to, and I, I'm just super adamant. I love like, this that. is my privilege. I own this company and we're going to pay the however many dollars it takes to keep this card in stock because somebody might need this card. Or I love hearing that so much because, yeah, as someone that does make products and I don't make that money and I haven't got into cards because it seems too big. But, yeah, it sucks when, like, I make, you know, oh, this is phrase or whatever. This is going to be so awesome. And then it's, like, doesn't sell at all. But, yeah, I'm, like, still will, like, be, like, I'm still going to make more of that. Yeah. Like, even though this one sells, by, like, by this much and this one, it's, like, barely ever leaves. Like, I love that, that feel that, yeah, like somebody out there needs that. And that's just, that doesn't, I mean, there are, I mean, obviously you have to mind your business bottom line when it comes to like, if I don't sell cards that sell this many, I don't get to keep health insurance for my employees, but those decisions would not have been able to even been talked about if I was with, I was working for somebody else. You would design only by what sells the most, you know, and what, you know, be like, oh, well, this one, your bereavement card is the bestseller. Make 12 more of those. And I don't work like that. And and the world doesn't work like that. Business works like that. Um, and so I've been fortunate to have a multiple bottom lines in my business. Only one of them is financial. <laughs> have you also noticed that perhaps, you know, a card you put out or design, the year you put out, like, doesn't do that well? 
And then a year or two later, all of a sudden, like you kept it around or or it just the stock kept around because it didn't sell or whatever. And then all of a sudden that does happen. Um, it that does happen. And I think sometimes that it takes marketing um, and just new efforts to make that happen. But I will say that the things that we were in retail and wholesales, we were selling direct to our consumers and to buyers from stores who were buying for their shops to then sell to, to their customers, they buy totally differently. So the things that buyers buy are safe. You know, they know they can sell, they have to turn over inventory and there's all these reasons they do it. So you sell a lot of birthday and you sell a lot of other things that, and there's like hugely popular things over here, which skew your numbers because they're buying in bulk. But then the things that, that end users that, you know, our customers are buying are so specific because they're looking for something specific because they're buying for themselves and their personal families. And so the things that are best sellers here and best sellers there are often very, very different. And that was really tricky to navigate as a business because I was always in defense of the things, but we're selling these one at a time. You know, it's, it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit, um, I always had to look at beyond the spreadsheet why people were buying because um, I think that makes a difference. It also kept our business human. So that was important to me. And then also the style of your cards too, besides what they were saying, is that all, yeah, that seals like, is that like a mixed media mm. thing? And then, so do you like create, is that how it started? Like sort of you're creating different things and even like the letters look like they're cut out, right? So yeah, it's all hand done, which it's odd that it is still almost all hand done. Um, my it's mixed media. It's, it's collage art, um, painting, drawing, ink, stamped letters. Um, my mom is in charge of archiving the originals and she was just reorganizing them. And there are like five huge binders full of original writing and artwork. And she goes, do you have a fireproof box? Like these have been sitting in a cigar box in my you know house for however many years. She's like, this is irresponsible. You need to organize these. It's a it's a pretty hefty body of work when I look at it like that. And I think I don't every so many people in my industry are doing, are, you know, doing stuff digitally. It's also digital. Now the fact that the art is still really handmade and that the quotes are original to me is still the thing that sort of separates it. Even if it's, you know, there's a million other things that are in the genre now. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to figure out what to do with those binders of original art. <laughs> it's like it's a it's a crazy uh, amount of work, and if there was a market for a coffee table book, I think I would try and do that. But it's yeah, Is it's all hand. There's not. There might is there be. not a market? I was like, that sounds like a brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> They're expensive, you know. Coffee table books are expensive, so um, that's true. But it is a it is a lot of work. Um, yeah, so I you know where a lot of card companies will put out 50, you know, 40, 50 new cards a year. We, I probably put out 12 to 15 because they, they're all works of art that take a lot of time. And the writing I think has to hold up in a different way where I'm not, you know, I'm not just like putting happy birthday. Although, you know, we certainly have birthday cards, but we, we do cards for people, not occasions more often than not. And, um, so it has to be, it takes a long time actually to sometimes edit down those ideas and then to make the cards it takes a while. So. Did you ever battle with yourself then because of that? Because when I 
started to make products and learning about the wholesale industry and everything, and oh, and you got to go to a trade show and you have to have this many SKUs and the this and the that, like the shoulds of, of the business, did you ever feel like I have to do something. I have to make more because, you know, oh, other lines do this. I'm only making 12. I'm not doing enough. Or were you again able to see like, I'm doing something unique. This is allowed. This is okay. And not feeling this. I should be making more. They're not going to buy from me unless I have this many whatever. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's, there are forces at work on you. If you have any sort of sales reps or other people that are involved in your business that are making money off of your money, they are always like, well, so-and-so does this and their catalog comes up here. And this is, you know, and I jumped at that for a while and, and it stressed me out. Um, and it ultimately, I think our business and our inventory outpaced us at a certain point and it, and it put my business in peril, you know, like the, the, the realities of doing that at the stage we were in wasn't in a, wasn't aligned with the health of my business. And so, you know, like it kind of, that energy comes out one way or another, it's either your own relevance. You know, if I was just making cards to make cards, they wouldn't have hold, they wouldn't be last as long and they wouldn't be as relevant and they wouldn't be as meaningful. And also you'll have all this inventory that you can't actually afford. And so it, it ended up balancing itself out one way or the other. If you look, if I, you know, when I thought of my business as an ecosystem, and I had to realign myself all the time. I mean, there are so many checks and balances if you're paying attention. And there's so many ways your business will say, I don't feel good. <laughs> like, and it's the same, you know, it's the same as your body or anything else. There's all, it's always telling you something. And I'm only wise enough to notice that now, you know, like it, historically, I, would, I just panicked and was like, what did I do to my business? And how do I fix this? You know, and so I just went through those motions, but the result of those adjustments meant that I had to only do essential work and it had to hold up. And so it put more pressure pressure on the on the process and the creative process, but ultimately made the business so much more healthy and and really kept it authentic despite the external pressures. So I think it worked, you know, like I'm still, I'm still here. Um, but I, you know, I remember going to this business conference with my, one of my employees, um, and we were sitting, it was like an ink business conference and we were at the high, you know, like we were moving cards and we were, we gave our, you know, had health insurance for all of our employees and paid maternity leave. And we were feeling really proud of our accomplishments and, we're into figuring out how to sort of make this business everything it could be. And we went to this conference in Nashville and sat through days of these guys, mostly guys. There was like 7% women at this conference and almost all of them were talking about scaling and selling and how to make your business something that somebody else wants to buy. And I had like a meltdown in the hotel. I was like, I didn't make a business that somebody was going to want to buy. You know, I'm single point failure. I'm, you know, this, if I get hit by a truck, nothing, you know, what happens? And, and the next day, fortunately, I went to see a guy named um, Jason Freed or Fried. I don't ever know how to say he's a columnist for Inc. Magazine or he used to be. And he also started the um, tech company Basecamp. And he gave a whole talk, which was the most counter talk that I've, that I heard at the whole conference about evergreen companies and what it means 
to do something because you love it and that being good enough and like how success of running a company for 20 years or 12 or whatever's over, you know, like if you haven't scaled and sold in five years, but you have healthy bottom lines and happy employees, that that is also a measure of success. And we're so caught up in this tech bubble of scaling and selling. And I just took a huge deep breath. And I remember getting to talk to him afterwards. And I said, I just want to thank you for saying that. I was just feeling so hopped up. And he's like, well, you know, how long have you on your business? And I think at the time it was like 12 years. And he's like, why are you talking to me? (laughs) And I thought, I just, I was so grateful for him for just normalizing that for me and making it, um, making it one of the things that I could go for to have longevity and peace of mind and like really enjoy what I was doing and enjoy working with the people that I, that I get to work with for as long as I possibly can. That is, that's business success to me, you know, like to be in business that, that felt really good. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm that's laughing just because yeah, I'm laughing because it's like, it's so ridiculous that we are like brainwashed <laughs> to like not believe that actually enjoying what we're doing right. isn't good enough. Right. And you're able to pay your bills or whatever. And you're paying employees. Like, but <laughs> there's always something to worry about. about. And I thought, are you kidding me? Like, this is more, how more, do I more. not be successful? <laughs> yeah. And why do I have to worry? And it was the most like capitalist thing I've ever heard was like, you're only successful if you make a billion dollars by the time you're 26 and have sold three companies. Like, that's not what I was put here to do. And I really had to, for a good chunk of years, like root myself in the belief that that what I was doing was enough. So, so yeah, that for sure, um, comes, it comes up all the time. Like if it's not coming up for you, you're not in the arena. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the whole point of the reason that my podcast is named claim it because we are so often led to believe that we have to like keep going, chasing more, better. I'm not enough yet. Okay. Now I've reached this goal. Now it's, it's like that it leads us to constantly be resetting goals and to not be happy with, and of course, like we have goals beyond that, but like to have a goal, but also be that you are fulfilled, successful, worthy enough right here, right now, if that never happens, but we're so often putting it outside, like you had a successful company, but instead of allowing yourself to like celebrate it, then what's next? got to do this now. I have to get to this level. (laughs) Entrepreneurship is extremely lonely too. You know, and like you, I say this all the time is that you'll like hit the biggest goal of your career and look around and like high five yourself and then go unclog the toilet. Like there's no glamour in it. But if I do one thing as any sort of, if I have any influence and I do achieve one thing is to kill the hustle. If I hear the word hustle one more time associated with breaking our necks to, to, to achieve something that's not contributing to our sort of deepest desires as, as a human being. And that's the antithesis of letting anything soak in and be real for you and enjoying the moment. And like, rolling around in the the thing that you get to do every day if yeah if I can do anything it's like I'm the opposite of hustle like you have to take the walking path and look around 
and take a freaking nap once in a while because you're not good to anybody or yourself or your business if you think you're hustling all the time. That doesn't mean you don't work hard, but you have to set boundaries. Otherwise, you're not living a life. And then you're just stressed that you haven't sold your company. And what what if you like your, <laughs> what if you actually like what you're doing? I don't know. That's crazy. crazy. I thought that was funny that you, I wasn't, I didn't think you were going to go into the like, oh no, like I've sort of doubting and failing because it's like for you, of course, like, well, of course you're not, you couldn't sell your company. You hand make everything and they're your words. <laughs> yeah. Which is, there's a term for that. It's called single point failure. And that is like, like you tragic. can sell your company. Right. So you're like, oh no, I set this up all wrong. But I was like, but no, you have a unique, like you've built your entire thing about this unique. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then they, you're all of a sudden like, oh fuck, I did it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and the term for what I do has the word failure in the title. Like it's so messed up. Um, and I just, I just don't believe that. And, uh, but again, it goes back to me sitting in the teacher's lounge with the yogurt and knowing that I was working every day towards retirement. I don't do that now. I, you know, hopefully I, I just say prayers that I'm relevant enough to get this, get to do this deep into my life. You know, like the fact that I've gotten to do it for 20 years still feels like, you know, I need to knock on wood because there'll be a yeah. time where somebody else's voice is, you know, more interesting, but yeah, it's not yogurt. No offense to yogurt. I just love that you bring the yogurt back into official sitting in the lunchroom with yogurt. All right. I'm going to get to the final, the questions after, but yeah, I also wanted, I love the, yeah, the, the hustling and all that. Like I'm all about that too. Like enjoy your life. And that's so often we are focusing on like how to live the best life, whether that's, Oh, I need to like learn every best help, you know, how to take the absolute best care of myself that we're so focused on like growing, learning, evolving, but like you forget to actually live your life right now. You already know Whether how that, to live your best life. I mean, you, there that's the real truth of it is, you know, already. Um, and you know, it doesn't mean that we can't do things to like self-improvement is, is great, but you're already the whole exactly. version of yourself. And I understand that getting to do the thing that I get to do is a huge privilege, but it doesn't mean that it's not accessible for everybody. You know, like that, the way that I did it and the thing that I do is unique to me, but the approach and checkpoints for yourself, I think are applicable to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, like, of course, better yourself, have goals, but there's like, yeah, this constant obsession of the best way to do this, this, and now I've learned this and now there's this new wellness trend. And now there's this, this, that we get so obsessed with next, better, more this, that it's like, forgetting to actually enjoy your life. Oh, I'm allowed to take an hour off and do this and not just be going, 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 seeking. Okay. I'm going to pull up. These are all phrases. These are all phrases that go um, on keychains in my little product line. (laughs) And I ask every guest to pick not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel they want as a reminder in their life right now and why. See, you know, I really like everything is going my way um, because I'm in the process of really working on the positive reframe. Um, it's it, it's the way that we talk to ourselves. I think that in the stories that we tell and the and the ways that we frame things are really important. And I have a 
a friend who's also a coach who, who does this great thing, you know, she's like, it's all about the way that it comes out. You know, it's the, the sentence, the way that you form the sentence, she's like, you can be like, Oh, I feel like crap. And I always feel like crap. Or you can be like, I'm on the mend, <laughs> which acknowledges that you don't feel great, but it puts it in the right direction. And now that I'm parenting young people, I hear the way that they talk to themselves and I'm constantly trying to be like, what if it goes your way? What if it is an awesome day? What if he is that, you know? And so I like that. I think that would be my favorite one. Yeah. It's, that's been mine for like two, that's what my, the coffee mug yeah. I'm drinking out of says it too. Like that's been my go-to phrase. I think, I, yeah, for like two years, like ever since I was like, said it to myself. Yeah. There's a, I think it's like Moulin Rouge where that guy goes, everything's going so well. That always like goes in my head when I try and need a pep talk. I'm like, everything's going so well. Yeah. And I'm always like afraid, like, am I being toxic positive? But it's like, again, for me, it's like acknowledging the real things that I do feel and the struggles I'm going through, but then still like, how can I believe that somehow everything is going my way? Cause the shitty stuff. And I had a lot of shitty stuff happen last year. Well, it made me grow. It made me learn. It made me evolve. And it was a real shitty couple months, but now I feel. So yeah, it doesn't mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm like a newly attuned to toxic positivity, having somebody like that in my life. But, um, I think acknowledgement is the difference maker there. You know, the acknowledgement of, and the, and the reality that I can feel not okay. I can feel really grumpy about this. And I might sit in that for the 24 hours or the 48 hours that it's required, but having the skill to, to decide that it's all going my way. And that I think it just changes the way that you're able to see the lessons or the experiences that you have. Um, and offer, you know, make them an offering versus, you know, the edict, you know, I think that that, um, I think it's just a small shift, but it's really helped me. Yeah. Same. It's um, like, it offers me like more compassion myself when I am in the hard times of like, this isn't, this is hard. You're going through a hard time. It's also not going to last forever. Like that seeing that everything is going my way. It's not sort of like snap yourself out of this, Trisha, and you're not allowed to be upset, but like, Somehow, someday, <laughs> it's all. <laughs> it's everything is a season. I like that one too, where you, you can think of like, this isn't who I am. This yeah. is what I'm going through. And, um, and that goes for sort of every, everyone in your life too. This is like not who they are. It's where they're at right now. Very true. What is a go-to to raise your joy levels when you maybe are in a, <laughs> in a funk time? and. <laughs> Uh, that's a great question for this week. (laughs) I, um, I try lots of things. I I admit to like leaning into coffee a little more than I may have should over the recent weeks. I would love to say that like, I'm a really good exerciser, but I'm not, but it does help. Exercise always helps. And for me, it's just getting outside. It's grounding, um, any way that I can and being in in nature with like real earth and trees and stuff really helps me remember, you know, where I am in the world and how much is at my disposal. Same. Nature really does help. And I'm not someone that thinks that it's a bad thing at all to like treat yourself with 
more coffee or, oh, you know what? I go eat my favorite cookie. Like, great. I bake about it a <laughs> brings lot. You, joy. <laughs> you know, like if that brings you joy, great. Like that's, I think it's so messed up that we give ourselves like, oh, the guilt and shame of like, if that brings you joy, let the damn thing bring you joy. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, and, and it is about, you know, for me, it's just about seeing the trends and what I'm finding joy in. And if it's like the bottle of wine all the time, then maybe I need right. to find joy in something else for a little <laughs> exactly. while. So that, you know, this is, this is a celebration, you know, this is an occasional thing. Um, but yeah, it's again, it's everything is a season and what you have access to may not always be what is the actual thing to bring you joy. I, I also find that like movies I've seen a million times, just, I watch them and it like takes my anxiety level down and it makes me in somebody else's story for a little while that I know the ending to. <laughs> And I know how it's going to go. So I don't have to stress about what they're going to get themselves into. You know, I don't want to see people lying to each other or like cheating on each other unless I know that that's going to happen. And I don't have to worry about how it's going to end. I just want to know. So I find myself like watching a lot of like Jane Austen movies to to like recenter myself. Somebody wrote an article about that. Like there is a reason, like a scientific reason that you watch the same movies over and over again. <laughs> but for me, it's like, I want to know that this is going to be fine. I need to see something that's going to be fine. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So that could be like a habit, a way of being, maybe it's business or personal life, whatever. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. What is easiest for me is talking. What is best for me is listening. I feel that one. I'm a, I'm, I'm a talker. I love listening. But yes, that's something I have to pull myself back. You will have a turn to talk. Yeah, I enjoy listening. I just forget that sometimes. Um, no, it is. It, it's something I work on for sure in most of my relationships. But I think I love advice giving. I love problem solving. I love talking about talking it out. Um, but I find that I get I mean, obviously my job and my work depends on me listening to what people are going through. Um, so I get most of the important stuff when I'm listening. So true. I feel that too. Um, okay. The last thing question is the name of the podcast is claim it, which I brought up earlier. Why, what are you claiming for yourself right now? Ooh, um, that's a great question. What am I claiming for myself? I'm claiming my voice in a way, which it seems funny because of what I do. But this year has put us into obviously a very digitally centered place. And I have, I sort of memory keep and, and timescape with Instagram and, um, it used to be blogging. It's not so much blogging. I kind of blog on Instagram now. And I have a community there that I really care about. And I'm always worried that I'm saying the right thing or that I'm going to, you know, like you kind of put yourself out there and I haven't had any really knock on wood, terrible experiences, but I am, I'm trying to really own that space to acknowledge that I have something valuable to offer and that this is where I'm offering it. And trust that community more, um, not to reflect back my value, but that it's part of my gift. And that's, you know, I'm going to 
live on earth, I should give gifts. <laughs> so gift giving is my love language. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm claiming my voice a little bit more, um, and trying to get a little bit more, um, confident in the ways that I am able to use that. I love that. I hear that. I feel that. Yeah. I think it can be easy. It's funny because both of us in different ways, it's like, that's why people were always drawn to your work and your cards. Right. Or that's why like where people were drawn to things that I would post and things, but then, yeah, you can go through these phases of like, I don't, is it okay? This, am I saying things right or that or like whatever? And then, yeah. And it feels so fucking good when you let go of those <laughs> thoughts. I know. Well, I it. think that part of it is like <laughs> not caring. Yeah. Like not holding it so tightly. I mean, I used to not want to write a book because it was going to go in the Library of Congress. And what if I changed my mind? You know, <laughs> like, I, it, that for me is a work on. And um, it's not not caring what other people think, but not letting it affect how you express yourself um, appropriately. And, um, and it's lonely. I mean, you ultimately, like we do this work by ourselves. It's not like I'm workshopping it with a bunch of people and it goes through a bunch of, you know, protocols, you know, it, it's, it's lonely. So it does get intimidating from time to time. And it does challenge your confidence from time to time, which I think is good, but you know, it's all checks and balances. Well, also with social media, because too, it's not really a, a linear like way of how people react to something because there's the analytics and things being hidden and stuff like that. So even sometimes I have to remember that, oh, that post in it do well has nothing to even do with what the post says. Right. And <laughs> or what you're sharing. Cause we can feel like, oh, never mind, or I need to be more this, or I need to blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not, we can't tell. Like I really am like, oh wow, people really love that. And I'm like, or do they? Or did it just happen to like land at a certain magical time? <laughs> yeah. Was it at 5 30 on a Tuesday? I mean, they do love it, yeah. but like it doesn't necessarily mean that that post is so much better than this one. Yeah. Like <laughs> uh, yeah. I find that ignoring analytics is really key to my, my happiness. But uh, for me, I just want to make sure that I'm not shouting into a, uh, a echo canyon. You know, I think with Instagram, you get this unique opportunity to express yourself, but you end up surrounded by people who feel exactly the same as you, which in certain times is really helpful. And then in other times, can either reinforce sort of unhealthy habits or challenge you to, I don't know, like, I just want to make sure that it's relevant, you know, that for it's in service of as many, um, voices as possible. Um, and so I'm always checking, like, I'm setting boundaries, but I'm making this a hospitable environment, (laughs) you know, like I enjoy challenging conversation. I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy you being a dick on my Instagram feed. (laughs) There's, I don't have, I don't run into that that often, but. But yeah, in the last year, I guess. Yeah. I think it's definitely been more intense that way. And people just are self-selecting in ways that I think could potentially be unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've seen a lot of, uh, oh, like if I even, and even not on my account too, but like I have a mom brand account and she was very not that like clear about who she, but the fact that she celebrated a woman vice president, she had hundreds of people unfollow her with like rude comments, moms from a mom brand. How dare you celebrate? Like that was where I was like, now that is fucked up. Cause she's not even, she wasn't bad talking. 
mm-hmm. anyone. She didn't say who she voted for or whatever. And like, because I was being very much the other way. <laughs> like my post was fuck yes when it was announced. And I definitely lost followers. <laughs> I was like, but like, yeah, I called Trump a racist was like, squat bag and I lost a few followers. <laughs> But yeah, so we, we're a little bit more clear, yeah. but like that sort of stuff. And I was like, wow, they're going to unfollow this like mom's very mom's word of brand because she's happy that we're like, hooray, let's celebrate a female. I know. I know. I mean, like there is there is me wanting really deeply to speak my truth and like put my foot down what I think is unsafe for our democracy and also like not alienate people that don't feel exactly like me. And yet. Same. No, I really struggled with that because I'm also like, how the fuck I know, can you I know. want that person and the right. things that he did to be leading our country? So it's been very challenging for me. To yeah, I, I try to really like remind myself that many things can be true at the same time. Always. Yeah. Um, but it got challenging. We're focusing on different stuff than, than we are. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Well... <laughs> Right. Having let's stirred the pot, it's let's get back to what are you claiming? <laughs> yeah, claiming maybe not being so divisive. No, I, I am, I am leaning in a little bit to that and just trusting that um, it's going to be received the way it's going to be received. But I can only think of it the way I think of it wholeheartedly, and I think that's okay. Yeah, and even though there are a lot of people unfollowing and on this, like that doesn't mean. You know, I still feel like it makes a bigger difference to to be speaking up about what we believe. And I don't believe that people and brands are supposed to be silent and whatever. Like, it's pretty messed up. I think, yeah, because it's real stuff. And if we just keep turning a blind eye. Especially... In fact, I think about it when I spend my money now and I make sure, you know, I totally me too. never in alignment, um, which I think is ever like just a hairline difference from, you know, only looking at the things that you want to be seeing, but I do think integrity is a big part of it. And people ask all the time if I regret posting so much politically challenging stuff. And I say, no, if, if anything, I regret not posting more, you know, like not saying things louder and sooner and more often. Because I mean, I've always been like that, but it has gotten more notice, um, obviously recently. And I really believe that if you're, you know, if you don't stand for something, you're falling for something, but, but it, yeah, it does get challenging. You question yourself here and there. And I just make sure that it is in alignment with, you know, my values and that's the best I can do. Same. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. And thank you so much too, for sticking with. Thank you for having me in your creation and sharing your voice for all of these years it is it is a pleasure and it is an honor to be able to do it um even if it's occasionally stressful (laughs) that's life like what is like what's not gonna you know whatever you choose for your work working for someone else working like that job like yeah choose a job you love and you'll never what's it Oh, you'll work really fucking hard is what it is. (laughs) The one that was like, you know, choose a job you love and you'll never work a day of your life. Like, yeah, fucking right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, you'll work harder than everyone else all the time and you won't have any boundaries about it. Um, But yeah, it's still do it, you know. It's still worth it. It's so (laughs) worth it. Right. Can you see all my gray hairs? Super worth it.
Oh man. No, it is. It is a pleasure. And um, I hope to get to do it for as long as I can. All right. Again, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe, leave that review, screenshot it, send it to podcast at yourdrologist.com, and I will send you a gift. For full show notes, go to yourdrologist.com slash podcast. You'll find all the episodes there. Go check out curlygirldesign.com. See the products that she makes. You can follow Lee on social media. She's Lee, L-E-I-G-H. I feel like I said that wrong. L-E-I-G-H dot Stanley. And um, also at Curly Girl Design. And of course, I'm at Your Dryologist and all things me are yourdryologist.com. Thank you again for listening and um, make sure to check out my products too at yourdryologist.com. My daily inspiration app is called Own Your Awesome. It's full of hundreds of powerful thoughts and phrases. And for the final thought of the day, oh, what right now would really make you feel seen? Think about that. Think about what would make you feel seen. And then, since we can't just magically poof for someone to do that for us, what if you did that for someone else? Like, what if you're like, I would really love for, you know, someone to thank me, or I would really like someone to acknowledge me. Then do that for yourself and send some love out to someone else, anybody else. Not that you're expecting to get that in return, but just no, you know what? I bet somebody else wants that. I bet somebody else would love to feel acknowledged right now. I bet somebody else would feel thanked. So do it. Send a little text, anything. It all makes a difference because we're all craving being seen, being heard, being understood, being loved. <laughs>